Morning. I want to welcome all those who are obviously in the room, for those watching online, and today, the grand opening of the West Falls Church campus. Yeah, and it's, uh, <clears throat> it's Krispy Kreme Sunday over at West Falls Church, so um, I'm hoping you all send us a couple dozen our way. That would, be, that, that would really be uh, awesome, all of you, and very Christ-like if you did that. <clears throat> all right, welcome to Rethink Church. Here's the goal, what we try to do today. What is the heart of the mission? of? The, we're going to talk about mission clarity because I think there, there can be mission confusion. And the scripture we're going to talk about this morning is some mission confusion among some people who are like all into the church and really devout and really pious, but there's, there's mission confusion. So, all right, I want to I'll start with a couple um, quotes if I can. First of all, Christopher Hitchens. Anybody ever heard of Christopher Hitchens before, before he passed? All right, a couple of you have. Um, he wrote a book, God is Not Great, subtitled, How Religion Poisons Everything. Is that true? Oh, does religion poison everything? He says this, religion has run out of justifications. Thanks to what? Thanks to the telescope and microscope, it no longer offers an explanation of anything important. Nothing of importance happens from the church. All right? I know he's talking about religion and broad, but let's just focus on church, Christian church. Nothing of, is that true? Is that true? Is that really the way it is? Sam Harris. Sam Harris says, Christians have abused, oppressed, enslaved, insulted, tormented, and killed people in the name of God for centuries. He says that religious faith erodes compassion. Is that true? Is that what religious faith does? It actually erodes compassion. Do we see that throughout the Bible? Do we see that historically? Is it eroding compassion? Well, I know that uh, there are a number of us here today that you've been hurt by church. I asked last week, I said, you know, invite uh, friends and family who are either anti-church or negative church or um, atheist, what we want to, and so I know some of you are here, this is great, there's a couple things I want to tell you. First of all, you need to know the kind of church that Grace Community is, right? 35% of us in this room self-classify as a non-churched person. We're not into the church, we're, we're, not, we're not bought in, and we think this is wonderful. And so if you're anti-church or negative church or just even neutral in church, I want to thank you for being here today. If it's your first time, we're thrilled you're here. And here's the reason why. Not so that we can, like, gotcha or be, not, none of that. We just naturally, think about this. You know this is practically true. We have a better discussion. We have a more fuller discussion when we have a, a wide range in the room. You know, if you get just all one type of people in the room, it's, you don't learn. You don't grow. You, don't, you can't even develop to be the person. You, you look at Jesus. Jesus was constantly surrounded himself with people who were really negative on the church, who were really kind of anti-church. They loved being around. We're told that they actually loved being around Jesus. And for us in this room who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, the fact that you're here, and we hope that you're not just here today, that you'll keep coming here, you're actually helping us be more like Jesus Christ. Right? So thank you 
for helping us be more like Jesus. We think this is wonderful. Look, I understand that some of us, actually many of us, have probably been hurt by church, me included. You know, I've been hurt uh, by church. This past Monday night, we had this amazing event here. Some of you know about it. We had Daryl Davis come. And we did this thing called Clan We Talk, African-American man who's been befriending members of the KKK for many, many years. And it was cool. We had a packed house. It was, I mean, it was just, it was, it was awesome. Fox 5 News showed up. And uh, they, they came, uh, got me just you know, like three minutes before we go on and said, hey, you know, we want to we wanna interview um, him. And uh, I'm like, well, we're really short on time. They didn't want anything, just so you know, they didn't want anything to do with me. They're like, could you just get out of the way? We ended up going in right to the stairwell right over here, and they did an inter- interview right in there. I was like, I, they couldn't get me out of that room quick enough. They didn't want to know anything about the church. They didn't want any part of the church, nothing. And when they did their live broadcast on the sidewalk after it was over, their live broadcast for the 10 o'clock news right on the sidewalk, they had a long piece, like four minutes long. They said, Thomas Jefferson Middle School sponsored an event tonight. Yeah. So, um, but look. You know, I don't know what was behind that, but here's, I mean, it could be just busy or misunderstood. It could be a whole wide variety. I mean, who knows? I'm not pass- don't get me wrong for telling this story. I'm not passing it. What I'm saying is a piece of it could have been that maybe, maybe that person's been hurt by church, you know, who kind of did it. You know what I'm saying? And so I understand that because I've been hurt by church. And so I just want you to know, uh, I understand that church at its worst throughout the years has been poison. It has been. It's been, these, it's been these things. But at its best, it's something else. And all I want to try to do today is clarify that mission. So if you reject the church, you reject Jesus or whatever, right? you reject it, we need to know, we need to clarify what exactly it is you're rejecting. If you accept it, we need to clarify what it is you're accepting. That's all I'm trying to do today. Does that make sense? One thing. I saw a few people nod your head. That's fantastic. Q- Q&A. So I want to show you a phone number. Please, does anybody own one of these smartphones here? Okay. See that number? 571-970-7767. Uh, just keep it up there for a minute. Uh, so please, feel free. Right now, this is a good thing. You get bored during the message. Just fire off. Questions about the church. Okay, try to keep it focused on the church. Not you know, love life, stuff like that. Just, just church focus would be awesome. You know what I'm saying? Anything that you got about the church, we're going to try to answer a question or two. What we don't get to, we'll do next. Oh, here's the only thing I want to ask you to do. De- designate, right? Are you from Arlington? Are you online? If you could designate, because we want to say this came from Arlington, came from online, or West Falls Church. Designate where. And just shoot. The, you don't have to be no name, nothing like that. We just, we'd like to know that. All right. Why does the church exist? What is the mission of the church? You ever heard of a term called mission creep? Okay, good, good. It's not um, a person who's a creep (laughs) who's on a mission. It actually became popular in the early 90s uh, for like an organization or a movement that has specific goals. And after initial success, they, they veer off and then they begin to go down a dangerous path. Okay, And the, the, the scripture we're going to read in just a few moments from Isaiah 58 is about a group of people, very pious, very, very, very devout, seeking God all the time, but obviously a suffering mission creep. You ever been to a business or organization that is suffering mission creep? Anybody? Ever been to a business? or Okay, some of you have. I'm going to tell you about an experience I have. Um, my wife, Chris, and I, we went to this place called the Edelweiss Cafe many, many years ago. So, right, that's from Sound of Music. 
right? That's it from Sound of Music, correct? Yes. I said it at first service. I'm like, mm, did I get that right? Anyway, 805. And you could tell when you walked in it at one point in its life, it had been on mission. You could feel it was warm, welcoming, probably had good food and all those things. But they had suffered mission creep. Okay, so we walked in. There was a little sign way here to be seated. Well, there was nobody there by the sign. And we just stood there, good, patient, you know, law-abiding Christian people. All right, just waiting to be seated, ignored, ignored. He saw someone running back and forth. And finally we said, oh, yoo-hoo, you know. All right, sound of music, yoo-hoo. So we tried to, hello, here we are. And they said, just seat yourself. All right, all right. So we sat down. And we sat there and we sat there and we sat Nobody came. And eventually I had just, I had worked all night at UPS in the warehouse. And so I was going to wash. So I went in to wash my hand. And while I was away, everything went bad, okay? So first of all, all these cockroaches. Krista was sitting right next to the wall. And all these cockroaches are running up. To this day, she, when she goes to the restaurant, she will not sit next to the wall because of that experience. It was so bad. And, and, then, and then the person came, the server came up, and, you know, here's, you know, here's the menu. And Krista said, do you, do you have a bug problem here? And they're like, why would you say that? That is, that is so rude of you. No, we don't have a bug problem. And then they walked away and they went behind the counter because they had counter seats or whatever. And Krista looks over at them, still kind of shocked at what they did. And all these cockroaches are running along the wall. And then the person looks down and goes, <laughs> so uh, this is an organization that was suffering mission creep. Okay. This is what I'm saying. They got, they got, they got off, they got off mission. And so the text that Tom is going to, come on, Tom, everybody say, hello, Tom. Yes, okay. So uh, Isaiah 58 is about a group of very pious people seeking God every day, but they were suffering mission creep. Listen very closely. This is excellent. Thank you, Tom. Take it away, big guy. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. Your fasting ends in quarrels and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, and the, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, 
and your night will become like noonday. <laughs> okay, so if you didn't pick up what they're talking about, the church are talking about believing the Bible. It's silly. It's stupid. It's all of those wonderful uh, things. I'm going to go back through a couple. You'll find it on the back of your bulletin if you want to look at these verses again. That I'm just going to do some highlights. Maybe if you have a pen, you'll circle some words. There's some very interesting things uh, that are in here. And, uh, you know, we can keep that number up there if you'd like uh, on the screen. We want you to be embarrassing if we didn't get any questions from you. So please remember to text a question. So it starts this way. Day after day, they seek me out. So we're talking about a group of people who are very pious. They're seeking God on a daily basis, like they're carving special time out of their lives. Think about this. How many of us in this room do this? That I mean, I, I, I have a challenge with this myself, making sure I carve out significant every time to seek God, and these people are doing that. They're extremely pious, personally pious, living a pious life, like praying. And then it goes on fasting. Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? Now, this is what the super pious do. They fast. They don't eat. They'll give up eating in order to spend time praying and seeking God instead of eating. Now, you know what? You're really serious about your situation with God if you are doing that. Anybody say amen to that? Well, that's kind of weak. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you seem eager to know my ways, it says, but you've forsaken my commands. How can a group of people fasting and praying and daily seeking forsake God's commands? How is that possible? That they, How are they living? It says they're living in rebellion. How is it possible that they're living in rebellion or doing like this? When it says, is this, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every... What does it mean to break every yoke? means all kinds of systems that are unjust to people and oppress people, they need to be broken. They need to be dealt with. It's very socially active. And what you have is a group of people who have personal piety, but no public representation of the God that they're worshiping bringing justice. Does that make sense? They've disconnected. And what I found is what I found is that we're drawn to one or the other. We're either drawn to this personal piety. It's about the message, right? It's about Jesus Christ is the way, is the truth, and life, and you better repent of your sins right now and accept Jesus Christ as Savior, or we're drawn over here to be better fight for social justice. No, no, Jesus doesn't need to be God. He can be an example, right? It's not about a doctrine, right? It's about a way of life and fighting for the rights and respect. No, and so they're, they, why they're suffering mission creep is they're confused between those two things. This is every, I, I just, I want to say this. After reading church history, after looking at world history, after reading through the Bible, these two things are colliding and it's causing tremendous problems. It's bringing tremendous confusion and we need to understand both sides of this. It's a doctrine, it's a message, and it's a way of life both. And we either lean doctrine or we lean way of life and there's no glory in it. Look at this. I want you to loose the chains of injustice. I want you to share your food, right? For the poor wanderer, give them shelter, right? And if you do this, he says, and the glory of the Lord. What is that? Glory. We talked about a few weeks ago. It's what God looks like. Like God says, if you'll do this and this, both, not one, not the other, not just seek me, not just pray, just not go to church all the time. Oh, God, you know, I'm living this life. Not fast, right? Not, not just that. But if you'll do that and this in the way of life, I'll show up. And what we tend to be drawn to is this or that, not both, and God doesn't show up. Does that make sense? And this is, they're, they're suffering mission creep as a result of it. Now, do you know how many times in the scriptures that God calls us to fast in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, right? Twice. Twice. You know how many times God calls us to 
um, break oppressive yokes or to fight for justice or, bring, or take care of people who are poor. All the hundreds, 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 hundreds of times. We're drawn to this and we're drawn to this. But the problem is when we're just drawn this way, there's no glory. God doesn't show up. Remarkable thing. And we're suffering mission creep. If we're doing just this side... Now, we could stay here all day, and we, I, we could give historical count after historical count after historical count, but you don't want to stay here all day. So this is what happens, and that's what they're suffering in Isaiah 58. That's why I wanted to read this. It's, spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry. I've always thought, everybody, about fasting, because fasting is a big deal in this. I want, this is the kind of fasting I want you to loose the chains of it. I've always thought about fasting. It's just about me and God. Uh, me and God are getting tight. I want God to do a work in my life or a work in whatever I'm fasting for. But I've never thought about it this way before. Check this out. I don't, so fasting is what? I don't eat so I can spend time with God. But what this kind of hints to is not only that, not only getting closer to God, not only that, but also I'm not eating so I can give the food to somebody else to eat. There's a real practical social aspect. Have you ever thought about that before? It's okay, don't raise your hand. It just hit me this week. Hit me that there's a very practical. And so they're missing it and they're suffering mission creep. So I want to talk about three things here on the back of your outline. You can fill them if you want that reflect the mission, right? I want mission clarity. That's all I'm after today. And the first one is this. The mission reflects God's character. What is God's character? God's character is who God is. Your character is who you are when people are and are not looking, right? So who is God? Who is God? Well, here's who God is. Psalm 146. He upholds the cause of who? We're not going to continue to somebody says the word. There you go. Thank you very much. So kind of you to be It's awesome. All right. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. Look what it says in Deuteronomy. It says the same thing in the book of Acts in the early church, right? The church of Jesus Christ. It says, there should be no poor among you. And there was no poor among them in the church in the book of Acts. What is fascinating about this is God is identifying with the people at the bottom. He's identifying with the poor and oppressed. And what is so phenomenal is up into this point, every religion was identifying with who? The people at the top. I mean, the reason they got to the top is because they were right with God. So if you saw a rich person, you saw a person in power, you said, well, man, God's really with you. And so here comes the Bible along and says God is identifying with the people at the bottom. And Jesus Christ, I mean, look what Jesus does. He's born in a manger, a feeding trough, right? And, and, and poor parents. I mean, you can't get, and when he's crucified, all he's got is his robe. You can't get a stronger identification than that. If I was to introduce myself to you, how would I introduce myself to you? I would tell you about the primary things of who I am, right? That's what I would would say, right? Hi, my name's John. I am the husband of my much better half, Krista, and a father to two kids. Right? That's who I am. That's who I am. Or I would say, I pastor Grace Community Church. That's who I am. It's a big... How does God introduce himself to us? I'm a father to the fatherless. That's his introduction. Identifying with those at the bottom. And I'm a defender of widows. Now, why, why the big point about a father to father defender? Those are two people who are in, they're in a very, very difficult situation, right? They're in a dangerous situation because back in those days when that was written, they were, and even to this day, okay? You could even, you look at the studies, even to this day, but back then far worse, okay? And God says, I am there for them. That's the first one. Second one, the mission reflects God's passion. Passion. Well, what's that passion to do? God says, Proverbs 31, speak up. For those who cannot speak for themselves. So what is that saying? That's saying that there are certain people in this world that deserve extra consideration. And we might say, whoa, 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 
whoa, whoa, whoa, equality for everybody. And God says, no, there are certain people who are oppressed or disempowered or in a very vulnerable situation that actually they deserve extra consideration and we need to speak up. We need to have so much passion that we don't mind our own business that we say, hey, we got to do something about this. this is a tough bet. We need to bring some justice to this. And so what it says is, there's so much passion, you speak up for the rights of those who are destitute, okay? Leviticus 19, now this takes a lot of passion. Look at this. When you reap the harvest, so you got somebody, he's a farmer. How does he make his money? Makes his money by crops, right? So when you reap, when you're out doing your farming thing, you reap the harvest of the land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your heart. What is that saying? It's saying to voluntarily leave some profits on the table. Now, when you talk about money, now you're talking, right? And God says, leave it so that other people who don't have can come and glean in your fields. People who don't have money to buy food can come and glean in your fields. I was reading this story about a guy who owns a very large car dealership. He did some investigation. He wanted to figure out who were the people buying cars for him and who was getting the best deals and who was getting the worst deals and what was their economic situation. You track with me? Right? He wanted, he, so he did all this investigation on the people and the deal that they got. Do you know who was getting the best deal and was getting the cheapest price on the car? The richest people. So the richest people were paying the lowest price. You know who was paying the highest price on the car? The poorest people. Specifically in his case, it was an African-American woman who was paying the highest price. Now, he's making a lot of money. I mean, he had a good business model. He was, he, he was doing well. He didn't, didn't do any changes. But... His understanding of Jesus Christ, his understanding of the Bible said to him, you know, we're going to radically change everything. We're going to level all our prices out, okay? I'm going to voluntarily leave profits on the table. Man, when you start leaving profits on the table, you're talking about, you know, something's made a difference in your life somewhere. Do you know, does anybody know what I'm saying? Okay, so he voluntarily leaves profits on the table so that those people who are kind of experiencing injustice, right, because they're paying, he says, no, we're going to take care of them too. And this is what Leviticus talked about. Okay, last point. The mission reflects a right relationship with God. A right. The word righteous. The word righteous in scriptures means to be in a right relationship with God. Okay, Bruce Waltke, who is an Old Testament scholar, says this about the word righteous. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. You know, we need righteous people. Would you say we need righteous? If that's the definition, then we need righteous people. Proverbs 14.30, how do I get in a right relationship with God? Okay, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. So if I'm not doing something about social justice issues, if I'm ignoring uh, the poor and the oppressed or people who are suffering, in some way, God says, okay, I'm showing contempt for him. I can't be in a right relationship with God if I'm doing that. If I've disconnected, you know, it's just about my, it's about my personal piety. It's about me being right with God. It's about me accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and living my holy life. If I'm doing that, I'm showing contempt for God. And I'm thinking, from my background, everybody, I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I'm trucking. You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking like I'm, I'm on target, big time, on target. And God says, no, you're actually not on target. You're suffering mission creep, all right? But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Now, I want to read a long passage to you from Job 31. 
Eventually, we're going to do a whole series on the book of Job because now, just now, after a couple of decades in ministry, I'm just starting to scratch the surface of understanding this very complex book. But God himself calls Job righteous. I didn't call him righteous. You didn't call him righteous. But God himself looks down and says, this guy, he's righteous. And now Job tells us in numerous passages in Job what that looks like. How would that play out? Watch this. This is incredible. If I had denied justice to any of my servants, so his workers, right? If I had denied any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when I'm called to account? You know, there's, there's in the Bible, God calls people, you know, employers to, to treat uh, workers, employees with justice and to, to not take care or to give an unjust wage is seriously frowned upon in the scriptures. Well, are you serious? Yes. Did you also know that poverty in the Bible is very complex? That some of us would say, just because the way we're wired, like, well, that's personal bad decisions on the part of this person suffering poverty. And you know what? That's included in the scriptures. But you also know that it says you can suffer a natural disaster like a hurricane or tornado or whatever, and that could lead to it. Or do you know there could be oppressive systems? So a lot of times what I'm saying to you in all of that is that we want to oversimplify things. Say, oh, well, that person is suffering, and it's because this. And the Bible says, wrong it's a complex set of reasons why a person might be suffering in a certain way, particularly in the area of poverty. All right? So he goes on. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both when in our mothers? If I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary. Again, the widow and the fatherless thing, right? If I had kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared them as a father would, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I've seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without garments and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the fleece from my sheep, if I had raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had an influence in the courts, then, then let my arm fall from my shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. Everybody, mission creep. We suffer mission creep when we say this. It's a doctrine. Jesus Christ. Get your life right, boy. You know, it's about Jesus. Repent and follow Jesus. We suffer mission creep. If we say, oh, no, 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 no. It's nothing to do with the doctrine. It's about being a good person, which actually is a doctrine. It's called the doctrine of justification by works, okay? So some of us here today, like, I'm not into doctrine. You probably will find that you actually are into a doctrine. It's just an ironic thing, okay? Here's how you don't suffer mission creep. Here's how you are on target. Here's how you avoid the poison, is that you understand it is a doctrine. It is a message that when correctly understood, it always leads to a way of life. And what we have in this world is people who are drawn one way or the other. And what God is saying, if you want to see glory, if you want to see something remarkable, phenomenal, and fantastic happen on this planet, then do both. Bring both together. That's how amazing things take place. Now you think about Zacchaeus. This guy was a thief. I mean, he was a bad guy. Nobody wanted to hang out with Zacchaeus except for his tax-collecting friends. It's this great story about Jesus befriending this head of tax collectors who was in cahoots with the Roman army government that was oppressing people. Right? So he is the problem. Zacchaeus is the enemy. And Jesus comes along and sees him. And you expect, here's full expectation. 
You expect Jesus to say, shame on you. Stop doing what you're doing. How dare you? And you know what Jesus does? It's, it's incredible. He shocks everybody. He says, hey, you want to have lunch? And they sit down. And they talk. And Zacchaeus gets it. And you could tell he accepts Christ. And when he does, what does he do? He accepted the right message, the right doctrine, and all of a sudden his life, his way of life radically transforms. And he says, you know what? Everybody that I've taken from, I've treated unjustly. I'm going to not only return the money, but I'm going to give above and beyond back to them. His life had been transformed. The message and the way of life came together. Is that you? So if you accept the message of Christ, if you accept it, do you know that that's what you're accepting? You're accepting both. Not just personal piety, but also a way of life. If you reject it, do you know that's the heart of what you're rejecting? It's hard of what you're... Okay, so uh, uh, Q&A. Thank you for sending. I, I have them here on my phone. So let me see. Let me, do, let me just do one, maybe two. No, just one. This came from Arlington. Are you ready? So this came from somebody in this room. Do you have to go to church to be a good Christian? Well, that's a good one, huh? Can it be a personal relationship without the church mess? Oh, yes. <laughs> Let me first say uh, to everybody that I can totally identify this question because there's been times in my life that I didn't want anything to do uh, with church. You know, before grace began, I just told God, I said, I'd do anything. I'd been a pastor at a church and such a bad experience. I said, God, I'll do anything you want me in life. Just never in the ministry. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with the ministry. I was done with that. So I, for whoever wrote that question, I just want to say I, I, I can understand that. And I will also give you a statistic, okay? Uh, and because I'm doing this on the fly, I can't give you the exact number, but I can tell you this. The majority of people, including church-going people, including church-going people, say that you can be a good Christian or a good follower of Jesus Christ without having anything to do with the church, okay? And if I asked for a show of hands, I would expect the majority of us would say, yeah, I, I believe the same way. Now, here's the problem with it. You ready? Okay. The Bible doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. So in the scriptures, uh, you wouldn't dream of being a follower of Jesus Christ without being a part of what is called the body of Christ. Just wouldn't do it. And I understand the mess. Give me, remember what I just said a minute ago? I totally understand the mess. But I want you to think about this. These are where problems come in. When I am just all by myself trying to interpret Scripture, trying to learn what it means to be a follower, then what does that say about me? That I'm going to figure this out without you. And that doesn't go well. <laughs> doesn't go well. We actually need each other. Everything about your life and how you've been formed is a result of community. Right? Your community. We all know this. Where you're, the family that you're, you're born to, the community you're raised in, I mean, all those cultural things has such a big impact on you. So does this community. As long as we're not suffering mission creep, so does this community. And that's why we're called to be a part of the body of Christ, the church. It's called the bride of Christ. So I totally understand the sentiment, but it doesn't work well. And particularly, you know, when we have issues with kind of being, I mean, does anybody know somebody who has like commitment issues? Does anybody, it's not you, but you know somebody who has commitment issues? 
Okay, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough. But for a person really to grow in their understanding of Christ and to, to be the church at its best is when you engage in community. All right, I'll say something tough, okay? But please, I hope you all understand. So, and I understand this, okay? But it's not just showing up every now and then and just kind of sitting up in the stands and then taking off. It's actually about getting engaged and getting on the field, like engaging in community, engaging in relationship, engaging in serving. Tom gave that announcement a few minutes ago about signing up. Look, uh, I, people's lives change in wonderful ways when they, when they sign up to serve, when they're actually engaged and they're not just kind of breathing. That's, that's just what happens. I've talked to a number of people re- recently. Uh, he said, you know what, they met their spouse because they were serving on a team. Now, I'm not making any guarantees, but... Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm making an observation. That's all. Okay. All right. Please continue to send the questions. We'll answer more questions next week. Okay. I wanna. I wanna conclude this in the next eight minutes with just some uh, simple observation. You know, it's anti-intellectual. It's anti-science. It's poison. It's not important for anything. Now, I, you're here today, and you're anti-church, or you're an atheist, or whatever. Do not misinterpret these next few moments as like, ah, yeah, there you go, gotcha. What? That's not what I'm trying to do. I. Here's what I'm trying to do. When I studied some of this, just a few of these things, I just said, hmm. It was ironic to me. So I just said, hmm. That's what I want you to do. Could you practice? Could you say that with me? Hmm. That's all I want you to do is when we go through this real uh, real quick. Oh, and one last thing. Um, there's a, in here, there's a men's lecture series. Uh, some people really want to know how we get the Bible, the Council of Nicaea and Constantine, all that. There is a professor, a history professor uh, here locally. He's going to come to my group. My group is sponsoring this, my community group, my Bible study is sponsoring this. You have to sign up for it. The link is in here. It's a men's lecture series. Now, ladies, please. Okay. The room is small. We only have room for 35 people. It's first come, first serve. Here, I'll give you something else. I'll give you something else. You know, the women are up here all the time doing women's events. No man is ever asking to go to a women's event. Just so you know. Just so you, just so you know. And they do events. And the guys come to me and say, you know, the women up here, and they're like singing and dancing and doing events all the time. There's never anything for guys. So I, the women never have. But anytime we ever do anything for guys, I get huge blowback. Could you, would you mind giving us a break? Can we? Is that Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, guys, it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be pizza. There's going to be discussion, a one-hour lecture. It's going to be great. It's great. And then a very vibrant discussion around this issue. And I just need to warn you, in my group, we just kind of, it just all gets out there, just so you know what you're stepping into. So you'll have to sign up right in here. All right, let me do this thing. All right. All right, so it's oppressive. It erodes compassion. It's poison. It's anti-science. It's silly. It's stupid. It no longer offers anything of importance. You know, um, there's been one time in history where there's, globally speaking, there's been this explosion of scientific knowledge, 16th, 17th century, an explosion. And you have to at least ask yourself, why did it happen there? Why did it happen with them? What was going on? Why? 16, these great leaders of science, right? The Bible is so against science and you can't be a scientific person and follow the Bible. You can't do that. Who did it happen with? Almost 100% of them were devout, Bible-believing, Bible-thumping Christians. Isn't that a little ironic? I just find tremendous irony in that. And the fact that today the church is labeled anti, you believe in the anti-science, and yet it all started these greats. Sir Isaac Newton, who's considered one of the greatest scientists of all from that era, wrote more on theology than he did on science. And if it's anti-intellectual, 
Here's a couple schools that are fairly good intellectually. Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all started by... Church. Yes, yes. This is great. Look at this Blaise Pascal quote. This is so good. Please, everybody, I hope you'll appreciate it. If, you, if it doesn't mean anything to you now, I hope you'll get it out later and read this. This is great. This is pure gold. People almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Oh, my gosh, I find that to be so true. I wish I would have read that 20 years ago because I, I, I get um, emails or phone calls or people stop me and say, hey, I want to talk to you. You know, about I don't believe in God, and I just I would like to talk about have a discussion about I'm anti church. I come here, I'm really involved here, but I am anti church and I don't believe in God. I am an atheist. I'm okay, let's okay. So I set up a point, we get together, and I always do the same thing. I get myself like jacked up intellectually. Right? I drink a bunch of five hour energies because I want. <laughs> I'm not that smart. I know I'm not that smart. And I want my brain to fire, right? So I'm thinking, we're going to have this great intellectual argument. And I'm telling you, I think it's almost 100% of the time we never do intellect. We always do past pain. Um, A Christian, a Christian leader, somebody hurt me. And we can never get to the rational end of it because we have to deal with the emotional end of it. And this Blaise Pascal, what a fantastic book. So I've been listening to this. Actually, I did it months and months ago. It's a, a podcast, Life After God. And it's a minister who like, he's an atheist now. He's like, I'm done with this. I've left the church, right? All and so he interviews all these people. And one day he was interviewing his hero. Like, this is my hero. It's a college professor. They're at the end of their career. They left the faith. They've written books about how they left the faith. He's like, I'm going to interview my hero. So I'm, like, I'm really dialed in. I'm like, yes, I want to hear what it is that caused the, the person. And so he asked them, he said, he, after he like gives all these accolades, he says, tell me, when was the moment that the light shone upon you and you realized, get out of the church, there is no God, tell me. And here's what the person said. He said, um, I had got my master's or my PhD in some theological study, can't remember which thing. I'm in the church, I'm serving in the church. I developed a program and the program's ready to launch. I did everything, I created the whole program. And the church leadership came to me and said, you're a woman and we're not gonna let you lead it. And we got a guy, he's never had any religious education, he's brand new to the faith, he's brand new to the church, we're gonna let him lead it. And they said, that's when the light shone down upon me and I believe there is no God. Gandhi really admired Jesus Christ. He based so much of what he did on the life of Jesus Christ. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Do you know why he never became a Christian? I didn't know him personally, obviously, but here's what I do know about him. I knew that uh, there are times in his life when Christians asked him to leave the church because of the color of his skin. I knew that Christians asked him to leave hotels that they owned and restaurants they owned, and he had to move off of the train. And it was because they, you know, he didn't, find, he didn't find it attractive to be a Christian. He found Jesus attractive, but not Christians attractive. Are you, do, are you tracking with me? Yes. Okay. All right. This is really, really important. So I want to say this. If you've been hurt by a Christian or a Christian leader, just as a, as, as a pastor, all right, I want to beg your forgiveness. I am so sorry. Uh, we are fallen people, and uh, we do foolish and cruel things sometimes. And I'm extremely sorry about that. Uh, there's, I mean, what isn't there to like about Jesus? Jesus is great. But we suffer mission creep as a people, and when we do, it is poison. 
So let's move away from the poison. All right, last thing. I know I'm almost out of time, but I do want to say this, okay? Just like there's been one global scientific revolution, there's been one, one, one global movement to end oppression and slavery. It happened in one time, happened in one place against one particular group of people. And they were who? Bible-thumping, Bible-believing, right, people. The church came together and fought against slavery. And that makes me again say, hmm, because I just read a minute ago that it erodes compassion and it's done nothing significant. Nothing of importance has been done anymore. All right, so can I, I want to show you a picture. Tell me if you know who that person is. Anybody? Okay. She's a devout Christian. And so the day that she was on that bus, uh, many people said, well, she was just tired. She wanted to sit down. She'll tell you in her own words, she wasn't tired. I mean, she wasn't abnormally tired than what she's always, but she, she's tired of this. Ready? She's tired of this. She'll tell you this. She's tired of this. She's tired of giving in, and she felt like it was time to speak up, not just for herself, but for other people because injustice was, was happening. Very devout, very, very devout uh, Christian. She's arrested. Uh, she goes down, and she's thinking that she, as she's being booked and everything, she was so thirsty. And she, in her story, she says she always, she's thought of Jesus on the cross who was thirsty, saying, I thirst. And, and, and she's there, and she's thirsty. Very devout, very devout, devout woman. Does anybody know um, that Montgomery bo uh, bus boycott, right? Very historic event, very well known. All kinds of presidents go to her funeral. I mean, this is a big, 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 big deal. Do you know how many days that Montgomery bus boycott lasted? Anybody? Shout it out. Anybody? Anybody idea? How many days? How many days? Say it again. Okay, all right, you're very close. 381 days. 300. Now, I, I, here, I, I want to ask you, how? you got tens of thousands of people who need to keep their jobs and need to move all over the place. How in the world? And the bus was their primary train. How? How? How did they last 381 days? It's one word. Who can guess it? It's one word. Church. Church. A group of people who were not suffering mission creep. Right? They were online, on target, doing something. It was the church. Without the church, the bus boycott does not last. It ends and nothing changed. Nothing changed. It was the church that provided for all that to happen. It started in the church. The Montgomery Improvement Associate starts in the church. It's kept alive by the church. It's completed by the church. Rosa Park lost her job, as many people did. You know where she went to work as a volunteer? In the church. You know what she did in the church as a volunteer? She was a dispatcher, like a dispatcher for taxi cabs. You know what the taxi cabs were? Station wagons. Station wagons provided by who? Answer? Church. Exactly. So when the church is on target, it's not poison. It's the hope of the world. It is the hope of the world. In 1700, the first abolitionist tract was written with a lot of passion here in America. Right? A lot of passion, widely read. Didn't stand a snowball's chance in hell of making a difference in the world. Do you know why? The passion was there, but the organization wasn't there. It wasn't until the church got involved that the days for slavery were numbered. You have passion. You want to do something. I just want to say to this to you very respectfully with a lot of history backing all this up. You can have all the passion you want. Unless you're with the right organization that is clear on its mission, you will not make a significant difference in this world. It just doesn't happen. It takes both passion. It takes mission coming together around a movement that makes a huge difference in this world. At Holt Street Baptist Church, the Montgomery Improvement Association was formed. They declared their first president, their very first president of the MIA. He was a 25-year-old pastor. He was brilliant. Do you have any idea what his name was? 
Dr. Martin Luther King, he was a Bible-believing, basing his movement on the teachings of the Bible in Jesus Christ. He was a pastor. And what it makes me think about, this is, again, everybody said, hmm. When I hear that the church is poison, I say to myself, to those people who say that, I understand that, but are we saying that Dr. King did nothing of importance in this world? Are we saying that Dr. King poisoned this world? Are we saying that Dr. King is silly or stupid. Think. I understand these things are going out, oh, silly, stupid, ignorant, anti-intellectual, all this stuff. Are we saying that or are we saying that something that changed this entire planet took place when somebody wasn't suffering mission creep through an organization, through a movement, actually, that we call the church? When it's on target, I'd like you to... uh, Read with me. It's on the screen behind me. This is what Dr. King said the night that he was elected the president in an impromptu speech. If you will protest courageously and yet with dignity and what? Christian love. When the history books are written, listen, this is, this is fabulous. When the history books are written in future generations, the historians will pause and say there lived a what kind of people? A great people, a black people who injected new meaning and dignity into the veins of civilization. Everybody wants to do something great. Every single one of you want to be part. That's what we know about humanity. We want to be a part of something great. And what I want to say to you is I know exactly how you can do it. When you are a part of a movement that is on mission, the church, when you're a part of that movement. You will do something remarkable. You'll do something great because greatness has followed the church every time it was clear on its mission. When it's not clear on the mission, it is poison. Total poison. Absolute poison. It's poison. But boy, when it's on mission, it's the hope of the world. And history backs that up over and over. I want you to love the church. I want you to love the true mission of the church the true mission of the church. I want you to see where it's both a message, a doctrine, and a way of life and come together and the glory of God comes down and the brightness shines like the noonday because powerful things happen. It's happened historically. It can happen again. It doesn't have to be poison. I want you to love the church. I want you to love the true mission of the church and be a part of something. Now, we have, we have, we have big plans. Now, we're going to share them with you soon about things that we want to do. But I would like you to consider today whether you've been coming in and out of here for a long time, you're showing up, but you're not really engaged in community. Or you're an atheist, you're negative on church, and you're just like, I want you to think about being a part of this community, about making a difference in this world the way Christ made a difference because it's worked over and over and over again. Tom talked a few minutes ago when he was up here about our volunteer teams. It's a great way. You know, without the church, without volunteers, without people coming together, that bus boycott does not work. Only greatness can happen when we commit and we engage and we're a part of something. So here in Arlington, please go see Tom at the table. West Falls Church, go see Aaron at the table. If you're watching online, sign up on the bit.ly link. Let's do something remarkable together and not sit on the sidelines or not suffer missions creep, but let's make a difference in this world. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this movement that we call the church. And I know it's caused a lot of pain, but God, when it's been online with you, when it's not suffering mission creep, it does amazing things. It does world-changing things. We see that through history. So God, help us. Help us, Almighty God, to be really clear on the mission and to be involved in what you want us to do in this world. 
I ask this in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. Thank you for being here. Our prayer team's here. If you're new or relatively new, Grace and Five is over here. Um, I hope you'll come back next week. We're going to talk about what it means to be a part of a movement. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.